main text of our, of, um, the message is titled, It's Complicated, if you're taking notes. Um, I've shared a similar message a couple of months ago to the, the youth in Canada. I was invited to a conference there, um, and, the, and the word was brought back to my heart, and, and I just slightly changed it up, but, but I believe God will bless you in this word. Um, that's the title there. Let's read the main text, which is John chapter 4, verse 4 to 8. John chapter 4, verse 4 to 8. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of the ground of Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. That is the main section of our text, and we're going to be focusing on John chapter 4 this afternoon. Um, and, and before we start, I want to just give you a bit of background and context as to what is going on in this text. Jesus leaves Judea or Jerusalem uh, as, as the word was spreading about him baptizing more disciples than John the Baptist was baptizing. Uh, but the text tells us that it wasn't actually Jesus, it was his disciples that were baptizing. So when the Pharisees found out and they tried to start some kind of uh, uh, controversy, Jesus decided to leave Judea to avoid any unnecessary conflict. You know, Jesus was never interested in any sort, sorry, in conflict, but in fulfilling his father's work. Jesus knew that there was too much work for him to do. When he began his ministry at the age of 30, he knew he had little time to do the Father's work. So he wasn't interested in controversy, in gossip, in, in all of these things that people were trying to do to him. So he got up and carried about his Father's business. Jesus knew that there was too much work to do for him to waste time. You know, I encourage all of us as we begin the sermon and the message today that we also, um, that we will also not get caught up in irrelevant matters that distract us from the work and the mission that God has for us. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 to 4, this is what Paul said to, um, to young Timothy. He said to him, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier, gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. We need to remember this, that we have work on this earth. Our time is short. That time is, 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 is of the essence, and we have to make the most of every opportunity. And what Paul reminds young Timothy is you don't have time to play games. You don't have time to get entangled in civilian affairs because you're a soldier of Jesus. You've got a mission to fulfill while you're on the earth and do not let in, insignificant minor things distract you or take you off course from the mission that God has for you. We don't have time for that. And that's what we see in this, in this story. Jesus didn't have time for the drama. Jesus had work to do. Which leads me to my first point, 
in this text, we learn that Jesus was a rule breaker, sorry, but a law keeper. Jesus was a rule breaker, but a law keeper. You know, when we read the Bible, we have to understand the details are important in every text that we're reading. The authors of the Bible were inspired by the Holy Spirit to put the, the events and the things that God wanted them to, to document and write down. And John tells us in our text that we read as we began that Jesus left Judea and that to get to Galilee, he had to go through Samaria. So what is the big deal about that? Why did Jesus have to go through Samaria? Well, this is a big deal because Jews do not go through Samaria. Why? Because there is so much hatred between the two groups, the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jewish people, they despised the Samaritans because they were half Jews. They were considered half Jews, traitors, half castes, and uncleaned by the Jewish people. When the time of the Babylonian captivity, when, when uh, Nebuchadnezzar captured all of the Jews, he took the, the, the ones that he deemed are important to his kingdom. That's where we get the story of Daniel. They, they, they selected the most educated, they selected those they deemed that would be useful in the kingdom, and they left behind the poor and those that they deemed to be insignificant. And the, and the story goes that those people that remained in Judea, uh, that when the Syrian uh, captivity took over the Babylonian captivity, they brought in people from different nations, and the people that were left there, they intermarried with other nations. And so we see that they began to also adopt foreign gods into the worship of the Yahweh God that the Jews were worshiping. The Jews, therefore, despised them. They saw them as the worst of the worst. Devout Jews would rather take the longer way to get from Judea up north all the way to Galilee. They will rather go around through the desert of Perea, which takes twice the time, rather than going through the shortcut through Samaria. That's how much, despi that's how much they despised the people. If you traveled from Judea to Galilee, through Samaria, it will take you roughly 2.5 days walk, 112 kilometers. But to go around the long way twice, takes about a week to get there. And that is what was happening in the context of that time. The Jewish people would rather go around than go through Samaria. But John tells us that Jesus had to go through Samaria. So why did Jesus have to go through Samaria? Some commentators suggest that maybe Jesus was in a rush. Maybe Jesus had things to do to get to Galilee. He didn't have time. He was about his father's business, and he had to go and, and spread the good news. But when we continue reading our text in John chapter 4, later on, we find out that Jesus, Jesus stayed in Samaria for two days. So for someone who is in a rush, does not stay in one particular city for another two days. What we rather see here is that Jesus had to go through Samaria to meet this Samaritan woman. Jesus was a rule breaker. Jesus had to break all sorts of man-made rules to get to her. Jesus had to overcome all sorts of barriers that stood in the way of, to getting to this woman. Jesus wasn't the teacher of the masses alone. Jesus was also the pursuer of the one. Jesus was truly the one that left the 99 to pursue the one. You see, Jesus didn't come to abolish the laws of God. Jesus came to break the rules of man. 
The Bible says that he fulfilled. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the laws of God, but I came to fulfill them. He fulfilled the laws of God, but he came to destroy every man-made rule that stood in the way of getting to him. Jesus said this of the Pharisees who were complaining that Jesus' disciples didn't wash their hands before uh, according to the traditions that they had. In Mark chapter 7, we see this. Mark chapter 7, verse 8 to 9. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. This is what the Pharisees did. They honored their own human-made laws and traditions more than the laws of God. And in some instances, they nullified the laws of God and they obeyed or put uh, as a higher authority their own rules and traditions. They had so many traditions that were man-made rules that they observed as if it were God's rules or God's laws. These rules kept them from hanging out with sinners as Jesus did. These rules kept them from praying for unclean people as Jesus did. These rules uh, stopped them from talking to Samaritans as Jesus did. These rules stopped them from helping the needy as Jesus did. The other barriers that Jesus had to overcome to get to this woman is that she was also a woman. That in, it, that in itself was a barrier because no respectable Jewish person, let alone a teacher or a rabbi, will have a conversation or, a, or, or, or approach and talk to a woman in that cultural context. The other barrier that stood in the way of Jesus was that she was a Samaritan. There was a racial division, as I mentioned to you to begin with. Samaritans do not associate with the Jews. And the third obstacle we see and learn in this story is that she was a sinful woman. Jesus will break all the man-made rules to reach you and to reach me. I am too dirty for you to clean me, God. Jesus will break that man-made rule to come and to reach you. I have messed up too much, God, for you to forgive me again, for you to have mercy upon me again. Jesus will destroy that man-made rule to come and to reach you. He is truly a man-made rule breaker but he's a law keeper. My second point is this. Let's look at this story more closer and see the well and the jar. The well and the jar. Jesus' disciples have went into town to get some food, as John remind, reminds us and tells us. He, Jesus goes and he sits by Jacob's well, and it's about noon. All of these details are important. What astonished me is that John tells us information that really amazes me. He tells us that Jesus was tired by the journey. How astonishing that the creator of the universe humbled himself and put on flesh. We see the humanity of Jesus in this text. We see the tired Jesus. Jesus who, who is human enough to sympathize and empathize with the woman, but he's God enough to deliver her and rescue her from the situation. A Samaritan woman is coming to draw some water that afternoon. And John tells us that it is the sixth hour. Why is this important? The timing or understanding the timing of this narrative, it's important because women do not go at that time to take out water from the well. Reason being, it was the hottest part of the day, 12 noon. 
So the woman would normally go early, really early in the morning before the sun came out or really late at night to go and fetch water. Another detail that we know through, through doing uh, uh, cultural research is that women always went in groups. They never went by themselves, they went in groups. So we learn already from the cultural context that this woman was an isolated woman. This woman went to fetch water at a time of the day that she knew she didn't, ha- she didn't have people around her. She knew that, that she could be by herself and go on this journey and collect the water that she needed and then come back without any other issues. We see that she was isolated by other women because there was no one that went there with her. You know, when the woman left that morning, when the woman left her house to go and fetch the water that morning, she was, it was a normal day in a, in a calendar. When she walked out of that morning with a jar on her back, going to fetch water by Jacob's well, it was an ordinary day according to her calendar. But it was an appointed time according to heaven's calendar. I remember it like it was yesterday, my friends. When I went to Hillsong, it was an ordinary calendar for me. I went to have fun with my friends. I went to have a good time in another city. All expenses paid, but little did I know it was an appointed time in heaven's calendar. Little did I know that Jesus was waiting for me in my destination. And this woman, as she walked out, she had no idea that that day her life was about to be transformed. My friends, perhaps maybe you came into this room because it's another ordinary calendar that Sunday is a day that we go to church, that Sunday is the day that I have to register and attend church. It's an ordinary day upon our calendars, but maybe Jesus's. Jesus is having an ordained appointed time for you and I to meet with him this afternoon. Jesus was waiting for this woman. Jesus was sitting waiting for his appointment with this woman. He broke all the rules that said in that time he should not be speaking to this woman. Society says that she is too filthy and not worthy for anyone's time. But Jesus, the creator of the universe, he clears up all of his schedule to make an appointment with her. She comes to the well with her jar empty, but little does she know that when she arrives at Jacob's well, it's not going to be one well waiting for her. There will be two wells waiting for her. Jesus then asks her to give him some water And she is shocked by that statement. When you read the text, Jesus said, woman, can you give me some water? And she is shocked, rightly so. She said, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. How could you ask for such a thing? Jesus answers the following. Let's go to John chapter 4, verse 10. Jesus answered this. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you Living water. (laughs) Jesus being the master teacher, he uses the water as the object lesson to teach her a truth and and a reality about her, her own life. He didn't go out of the way, break all of these rules to quench his thirst. Jesus wasn't at the well for his own needs. He was at the well for this woman's needs. And he asked her, if you only knew the gift of God, woman, if you only knew who it is that stands before you, 
You know, it's a gift of God because the price was paid by another. But isn't this the problem of all of us? Like this woman, we are all unaware of our spiritual condition. We are unaware of the true need that we have in our life. We think that all, we, all our needs are in the physical realm, as this woman thought. When you read this story, that's what you see in this conversation. Jesus is speaking about her, nat- her, her spiritual need. She's focused on a physical need. Jesus is speaking of the need of her soul, and she's speaking of the need of her body. So Jesus goes a step further, and he uses thirst as an object lesson to show the woman of the deeper spiritual need that she has. Let's go to verse 13 and 15. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst Indeed, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Listen to what the woman replied. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus is talking about her spiritual condition. She still doesn't get it and she's focused on a natural physical need. I just want you to picture the scene for a moment. She stands at Jacob's well, which is dug by hand with her empty jar. Her plan is to fill up that jar and then come back again when that runs out to draw some water. (laughs) Jesus says to this woman, I can give you water that will make you never thirsty again. And, and this woman is like, Jesus, give me this water so I don't waste my time going up and down. But Jesus is trying to show her as she thirsts for natural water, there is another longing in her heart that he can only provide for her. And that's, that's where the issue is. When Jesus speaks of living water, he's speaking of the giving of the Holy Spirit to bring about salvation. And we see this in John chapter 7, verse 37 to 39. Jesus clearly explains what he means by this living water. On the last day of the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. This he meant by the Spirit, whom those who believed in him would later receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So Jesus is offering her the promise of the Father that if she receives him, he will give her this gift of the Holy Spirit that will be like a, like a flowing river that comes from within her. You know, when we have the Holy Spirit, we know that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, self-control on the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, what Jesus is saying to her, woman, if you know the desire of your heart that is the one that needs to be filled, I am the one that can give you that. But our problem is the same problem that this woman had. Our problem goes back to the garden, doesn't it? 
Jeremiah put it like this in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. My people have committed two sins. He's speaking of the Israelites, but as he speaks of the Israelites, this speaks of us. He said, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, that's him, God, the spring of living water, and have dug up their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. This was the problem from the beginning, that we rejected God and we began to dig up our own ways of finding fulfillment. Her story is really our story. We forsook God, the spring of living water, and we dig up our own cistern. A cistern means simply a container, a tank, or reservoir. And what God says through the prophet is that they are broken cisterns. They can't even hold the water that you're trying to capture. So we are all trying to get from Jacob's well what we can only get from the living well. We all have been thirsty since Adam and Eve sinned. This speaks, the thirst that Jesus is speaking to her about, it speaks of a wanting, a longing, and a searching of her heart. That's what Jesus is saying. Woman, there's something that you're longing for. There's something that you're searching for. There's something that you are trying to get. But I want to show you that your, this thing that you're trying to get is not something that is physical. It is spiritual. When you have opened your eyes to see your true need, then you will find satisfaction in everything that you have. There is a longing on the inside of us that is God-shaped, my friends. And we try to fill it with our own jars. You know, in the world, we try to fill it with the jars of Korea. We try to fill it with jars of fame. We try to fill it with jars of a boyfriend or a girlfriend. We try to fill it with jars of money. I'm reminded of a story that I read, uh, sorry, a documentary that I watched about the famous um, producer named Avicii. He passed away, as you all know, and, and you know his story. He, he committed suicide. He was very wealthy. He had all the money you can think of, all the women you can think of. In the outside, physically speaking, he had everything. But what touched me is, as I was doing a quick research on this, the statement that his family put out after his passing, I'll read it as follows. This is his, his family's uh, letter. Our beloved Tim was a seeker, a fragile artistic soul searching for answers to existential questions, an overachieving perfectionist who traveled and worked hard at a pace that led to extreme stress. When he stopped touring, he wanted to find balance in life to be happy and to be able to do what he loved most, which was music. Listen to this. He really struggled with thoughts about meaning, life, and happiness. He could not go on any longer. This broke my heart. He wanted to find peace. Tim was not made, Tim was not made for the business machine he found himself in. He was a sensitive guy who loved his fans, but he shunned the spotlight. Tim, you will forever be loved and sadly missed. The person you were and your music will keep your memory alive. We love you, your family. You see, what Avicii was truly longing for, what Avicii was truly searching for is what Jesus is telling this woman, I am the only one that can give you this. He is offering this also to us today. 
that if you, if you know the true need that is in your life, I can give you that. I am the one that can give you the gift of living water. And when the Holy Spirit comes and gives you salvation and he dwells inside of you, he will give you this peace that Avicii wanted to get at his death. But we all know that when we die, we don't rest in peace apart from Christ. There is another reality that faces us, but when we rest in peace, only when we come to Christ. Jesus wants to fill the empty jars of your heart with life-giving water this afternoon. So we may truly be satisfied, have joy, peace, and love, which are all the fruits of the Spirit. The next point that I want to take you to, which leads me to my main point, is that He knows. I want you to know something. As we read this story, we learn something about Jesus that we can learn for our own life. So Jesus is having this conversation and he's telling her, woman, I can give you water that will make you never thirsty again. She's like, yeah, give me so I don't come back to this well. She just doesn't get it. Do you know what's funny? We are like her. We understand our physical needs. We understand that apart from water naturally and physically that we cannot survive that, that when, I've, I don't know if you've ever been thirsty after an exercise or you haven't drank any form of liquid for, for a period of time. I mean, you are longing for water. You need to drink. You are so thirsty. I don't know if you've ever been in that position. We understand that. We get that. She gets that. But what she did not get is that also applies. What Jesus is using, he's using the, the, the water as, a, as an analogy to teach her there is also a longing that is deeper inside of your heart. There is this emptiness that is within you that, that you need to know and understand, but she doesn't get it. She gets in need of natural water but she can, that she cannot live without, but she cannot see her spiritual need that she also cannot live without. So Jesus, what he does is he switches up the conversation and he asks her something. He said to the woman, can you go and get me your husband? I can picture this, I don't know, me, when I read the text, I try to visualize the moments, and, and, and it's as if for me, as, as he asks her this question, it's as if she just puts her head down when she replies to him, I have no husband. I have no husband. Friends, have you ever had a complicated story that all you can give is a sentence when people ask you? <laughs> this woman, all she can give to Jesus' question is, I have no husband. What you've been through is too complicated to explain, to put into words. There is shame attached to it. There is guilt attached to it. So all you can say is, is just a simple sentence to explain away your situation. Someone comes and asks you, hey, are you, what's your relationship status? Are you in a relationship? And all you can say is, no, I am single. But behind that statement lies a complicated story. No one knows that you were sexually abused at the age of five by your own uncle, which then led you to living in shame, guilt, a fear-based, promiscuous lifestyle. It's complicated. Someone comes up to you and asks you, hey, where is your mom? And you say, I have no mom because it's complicated. But little does that person know that no one knows that your mom abandoned you when you were an infant in front of an orphanage house. So you grew up abused and mistreated in the various homes that you lived in you blamed your mother your whole life and you don't even know if she's alive 
Now you have a child of your own as a single mom, and you cannot fathom how your mother can abandon, how a mother can abandon her child. It's complicated. Hey man, what do you do for a living? I'm looking for work is all the answer that you can give, but little does that person know that behind that answer is a complicated story. That you're staying at different homes of your, of your friends, at different houses. You live with a low self-esteem because you grew up being told by your father that you're good for nothing, that you'll end up as a drug dealer, and so you have believed it, and now you're dealing drugs on the street, and you cannot, and you cannot say to anyone that it's a job, so you say simply, to explain it away, I'm looking for work. It's complicated. <laughs> I just grew up random scenarios that can be, but you can put your story behind that. There's so many times we meet people and they ask us a question and we don't have time. We don't know if they can handle the pain, the hurt that is behind the short answers that we give. Hey, how are you? I'm good, thank you. But behind that I'm good, thank you is lies a complicated story. And this is what this woman did. Go and get your husband. And she said, I have no husband. And we think, if only I had the man or the woman of my dreams, then I will be satisfied. If only I had that $1 million in my account, then I would be truly living. If only I had a loving mom and dad growing up, then I would have been in a better place. Then I would be satisfied. Then I would be happy. And we think like this woman, if I only had that water that Jesus, uh, the water Jesus said that I need, I don't have to come back here to draw water again. But Jesus tells her that you will be thirsty again if you drink from this well. You'll be thirsty again if you drink from your own way. You'll be thirsty again. You'll be coming back wanting to drink again. Friends, anything that we try to get satisfaction from, in what Jesus can only give, will leave us thirsty again. I came to announce this afternoon good news to you today, that there is one person who knows everything about you without you saying a word. There is a person who hears the silent cries of your heart. There is a person who hears the groanings and the moanings of your heart that you cannot share with a pastor, that you cannot share with a counselor, that you cannot share with a best friend, that you cannot share with your partner. There is one who knows the frequency of the human heart that no other person can get. And he sees the pain and the hurt and the vessels that you have relied on have horribly failed you. He alone is the one that can fill the emptiness that is within you. He alone is the one that can deliver you from all of your sins. The, the angel said to Joseph, you are to call him when Jesus was born. You are to call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's what the name Jesus means. The Lord saves. You know, Jesus went on to tell this woman everything about her, the complicated part of her story that she left out. Jesus gently confronts the very thing that she was trying to avoid. Let's go to John chapter 4, verse 17 to 18, and I'm almost done. When he asked her this question and she replied, I have no husband, Jesus said to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, that you have had five husbands and the man that you are now and the man that you now have is not your husband. 
you have just, what you have just said is quite true. Another translation says the man that you're living with is not your husband. We see there that Jesus doesn't recognize anything outside of the covenant of marriage, does not reckon, recognize it as a relationship. But what amazed me is that even though she didn't tell him, Jesus already knew the facts of her life. My friends, Jesus knows the facts of your life. He's not just fully man, but he's fully God. He knows the complicated story that you have. He knows the depth of your sins. And he's coming to you this afternoon to set you free to quench your thirst. My last point we're going to look at is, is the Messiah. The Messiah. The story, the story goes on and she changed the subject and, and, and it comes back to where, where the main part of this story is. It comes back to verse 26. So she asked the question about the temple and the place of worship because the Samaritans believed that it was where they have built a temple that has been destroyed 150 years prior. That's where God is worshipped. Jerusalem's believe it was in Judea in the temple that was there at that time. So she was asking him a question about that. And Jesus said, we worship God in spirit and in truth. And after that conversation, she's like, well, this is just too much for me. Perhaps when the Messiah comes, he will show us everything. I love what Jesus replied to her in John chapter 4, verse 26. He said this. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah that she has been waiting for. Jesus reveals himself. Jesus reveals who he is to this woman. Jesus tells this woman that he is the Messiah that she's been waiting for. Jesus went out of his way for this one woman. Jesus rearranged his traveling schedule for this one woman, a broken woman who was living in sin, a broken woman who tried relationship after relationship after relationship to quench the inner thirst that she had that only the Messiah can give her. And in this moment, there is a revelation of the person that is standing in front of her and he wants to reveal himself to you and to me no matter how complicated your story is my friends I want you to know today that Jesus knows the facts he knows your complicated story and he wants to deliver you in John chapter 4 28 I believe it's a it's a prophetic symbolic act that she did this is what she did once he revealed himself to her, the Bible says then, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, we'll continue this story next week, part two of this story. You don't want to miss out in the exciting thing that Jesus teaches us after that. But she, what she did was once she had a revelation, she left behind her water jar. She left behind her water jar. When Jesus was revealed to her, the woman came to the well if I can give the, get the worship team to come up. The woman came to the well to draw water, to be thirsty again, but she walked away to be never thirsty again. She walked away to be never thirsty again. You know, as you close your eyes and sit down there, I'm going to just say a couple of things, and I want you to focus this message on yourself. I want you to think about the questions that I'll be asking. I don't know why the Lord put this in my heart to share it today, but I believe no matter what condition you came into this room with, I believe 
that it is an ordained, appointed time where God wants to speak to your heart today. You didn't come. Yes, you may have come by your own calendar. Yes, it might be another Sunday, another normal day. But I believe that Jesus was waiting for you here to have an appointment with you. What I love about this story is that Jesus broke every rules, every man-made rules that stood in the way of reaching and talking to this woman. And when he comes to her, he wanted her to see her real need. She was ashamed because she had a complicated story. But Jesus already knew the facts of her life and he still, and he still pursued her. My prayer for you and for me this afternoon is that you would drop behind your jar, your broken jar, everything in your life that you've relied to give you what God can only give you. Perhaps like Avicii, you, you're trying to find the meaning of life, peace, joy, all of these things that only the Spirit of God can give us. And you keep trying and keep trying and everything you're trying, you, you get it and it fails you. But I believe in this room. There are people that God is speaking to. What are you relying on that leaves you dry and thirsty again? You know, when you keep living in that, you're going to keep going back to that. It's going to be a cycle, a never-ending cycle. But what God wants to do for you and for me is to deliver us so we're fully satisfied in Him. I believe the Spirit of the Lord is calling us to leave behind today our empty jars so that we're filled with the living water. Jesus had to go through Samaria. <laughs> yes, busy Jesus. Yes, the Jesus who, who did miracle signs and wonders, he went out of his way for this one woman. And I'm believing that God is speaking to someone in this room today. He's coming to reveal himself to you. As you revealed himself to this woman. You know, you could grow up in the church and hear the word Jesus and man, know many stories about him. But unless he's revealed to you, you will not see him. And that comes when you know your need Spiritually, That comes when you know that you are left with nothing. You've tried everything and he has not given you what God can give you. We've all forsaken the living water and have dug up our own systems. 
Lord, I pray that you would touch every single person in this room. Lord Jesus, that you would open our eyes that we may see you, that we may know you today. No matter what we've been through, no matter how complex our story is, that you know the facts of our life. But you're still willing to deliver us. You're still willing to have grace upon us. You're still willing to set us free. And I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that you would break every man-made rules that are built up in our minds and reach us, Lord. Reach us in our position, God. Reach us where we're at, God. I pray for every young person, old person, whatever background they have, Lord God, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that you would reach them this afternoon, pull them out of their situation and deliver them. That you would set them free. You know, this woman went on to become an evangelist. She went on and told everyone about who this Messiah is, this Jesus. She said, this Jesus that told me everything about my life. So she confirms that what he said was true. You see, Jesus knows the details of our life, but that doesn't stop him from reaching us. Your understanding of God doesn't stop him from coming to you. Our misconception of him doesn't come, doesn't stop him from coming to you. And this afternoon, I pray, I pray that God will open our eyes. Come on, why don't we stand right now? Why don't we stand and I want you to pray. I want you to pray right now and say, Lord, I want you. I want to see what this woman eventually came to see. I want to see, Lord Jesus, how, Lord Jesus, how that without you, as Melat said, even in the morning, that I am nothing. I can do nothing, Lord. Is there anyone desperate in this room? Is there anyone hungry in this room? Yes, we we understand natural hunger. You're probably hungry right now and you can't wait to eat. But do you understand a greater hunger that's in your soul? Do you understand the hunger for your soul, the the thirst of your soul? Do you have an, an, an awareness of your spiritual condition? And I pray that God will open our eyes this afternoon. Lord Jesus, move in this place. Spirit of God, have your way in this place. Open our eyes, we pray. Open our eyes, we pray, Lord Jesus. Open our eyes, we pray, Lord Jesus. Open the eyes of our generation, Lord Jesus. Help us to see and understand. Help us to see and understand. To see and understand what this woman eventually understood, Lord. That you are the Messiah. You are are the one we've been waiting for, Lord Jesus. There is no new movement. There is no new, new, new anything that we need to look for, Lord Jesus. What we've been waiting for was already given 2,000 years ago. Lord Jesus, I pray that you open our eyes. As we finish today, I want the worshipers to come and you can worship behind me. What I want you to do is I want you to come forward. And I'll stand at a distance and pray for you, especially if you're saying, yo, yo, today I have sensed the Lord speak to my heart. I want to meet with him and I want him to deliver me. I want him to set me free. I want to receive the gift of living water. Lord, uh, I, I want this living water that, that you are speaking about today. This water that I can only get from Jesus. I've tried everything else, yo, yo, but today I want to surrender to him.
You know, when I was in Hillsong in that conference, that when I gave my heart to Jesus, I can relate to this story. This was one of my favorite stories because I knew I didn't go there for the conference. I knew I didn't go. I I had no idea what was waiting for me in that place. But God spoke to my heart. He changed me. And I never looked back from that day forward. I never looked back because I have tasted and seen this Messiah. I didn't just know information about him, but my eyes opened up and I began to see and I began to understand my condition of my heart. I began to understand what salvation is. God broke off all of the barriers that stood in.